the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. W.H. Weiscarver, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiscarver, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And joining me for today's edition, we have uh, our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Great show. And joining us uh, this week, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Uh, Welcome back to you as well, Bobby. Thanks. Okay. Where did we leave off in in part one? Oh, here we are. Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer may have to return or donate millions of dollars in campaign contributions at the end of this year, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson says in a court filing. Whitmer has collected at least $3.4 million in what would normally be considered excess campaign contributions after her campaign invoked a recall exception to allow unlimited donations from individual donors. 
The normal limit is uh, $7,150, but Whitmer has collected six-figure donations from several donors. Michigan Republican Party Chairman Ron Weiser sued Benson, the state's top elections officer, over the donations in September. Weiser argued in federal court in Grand Rapids that the recall exception unconstitutionally disadvantages Republican donors, such as himself, who are unable to give similar amounts to their preferred candidates for governor. Others have questioned whether it is appropriate for Whitmer's campaign to cite the recall exception, saying that although language for several recall petitions have been filed against the governor, none appeared close to collecting the required number of signatures. Should the governor back out of this fundraising loophole and return the money? Well, let's try that again. Well, we've got a little glitch happening here. The uh, the stream had dropped, and I don't know if we lost our calls or not. Looks like maybe we did. Let's try this again, see if we can get back in here. I've not heard that there was one. I mean, I've not heard a time or anything. I assume there'll be one, but I've okay. not heard anything. Let me, let, me, let me go back and start okay. that again because I had a drop in the, um, uh, the stream here in the studio. So uh, it, it, I noticed the drop just about the time I was asking, should the governor back out of this fundraising <laughs> loophole and return the money? Probably. I think it doesn't, it doesn't do her well to be charged with um, making hay while the sun shines. It's funny that the law does say that um, ballot initiatives, anything that is a campaign and there's going to be putting something on the ballot, is unlimited and can also accept money from corporations, which general campaign candidates cannot. Right. And yeah, the other, other thing that strikes me is that uh, anybody who wanted to work around the, the campaign limits could simply say, well, there's a guy out there in the corner who wants to recall me, so I don't have to worry about the limits anymore. You know, so, I mean, how, how formal does the recall have to be? If some guy puts a post on Facebook saying, I want to recall Governor so-and-so, does that mean all of a sudden the limits are all off? Or no, you've got to go through the process. There's oh. a process that has to be put in place. Officially. Do we know if, no. if a recall committee was actually filed? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure how serious some of these recalls were. Well, if they filed a committee, then it's already gone into the beginning of the process. Doesn't yeah. mean that they're very good at raising money and getting petition signatures. Yeah. But if they filed it, I would question that. All the uh, the story, which I believe came from the free press, all it, all I took from it was that language for several recall petitions have been filed. Oh, but okay. none appeared close to collecting the required number of signatures. Now, does that mean that, that some of the language was approved and then they just didn't get enough signatures? Or did any of the language get approved? And, it and sounds like some of it clear. was approved. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Bobby. It wasn't, it wasn't clear about that. Yeah, but it does suggest to me that any candidate, any any official who wanted to work around the finance laws could simply 
get a friend to file some flaky recall things, and all of a sudden you're off the hook from uh, having to worry about the $7,000 limit. (laughs) Isn't it funny that it's probably been used by other candidates that have been subject to recall, and yet now it's become an issue because it's... (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know that it has been. Maybe it has. I don't know one way or the other. It's a curious loophole I was not aware of until recently. Yeah, yeah. and the Paul Scott recall, he actually did, you know, he raised a lot of money. Yeah. So it was, it's been used. Yeah, but I think when you have a, a statewide race, like governor or maybe the U.S. Senate, um, we're talking about some pretty big dollars. Yeah. But it's just, is it the principle or is it the amount of money? Yeah. And as I say, I, I can imagine a candidate who wanted to raise some serious money just got to get a friend to go out there and file some, some papers for a recall and then drop the idea. But as long as you get the papers in the pipeline, now you can raise money with unlimited uh, unlimited amounts. Well, as to your question, Bobby, I'd, I'd like to say it's about the principle, but uh I'm still wrestling with a question a friend of mine posed to me in Los Angeles said, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, that's <laughs> our, our democracy is in danger. <laughs> but I think uh, in the long run, you have to remember that credibility is everything because people will find you out in the last analysis. And that's a political question. Yeah. Well, moving on, an issue that has dogged former Detroit Police Chief James Craig for years has reemerged as he seeks the Republican nomination for governor. The fact he served as chief in both Detroit and Cincinnati without being a certified police officer. The Michigan Commission on Law Enforcement Standards does not require police chiefs to be certified. Instead, Certification is required for officers who perform duties such as making arrests or issuing tickets. Michigan Radio reported Tuesday that when Craig took over the Detroit Police Force in 2013, he told the Free Press through a spokeswoman that he would voluntarily complete the process to become a fully certified officer. Public records show that Craig never followed through on that promise, according to Michigan Radio. But my question is, should all law enforcement administrators be certified police officers? Hmm. Well, it's, he's a bureaucrat in the position of an administrator, but does a bureaucrat need to know the process and the rules and procedures of the bureaucracy he oversees. I don't know. I think he should. Well, he should know the rules. He should should know what he's doing when he goes in and digs down deep. He's got to know that. And I don't know if people even realize that these positions don't require that certification. Yeah. Because in in most police departments, chiefs rise up through the ranks. Yeah. That's the usual pattern. Yeah. That's right. I, I was when I heard that I was mildly surprised, but I, I'd heard it before for some other officials here and there. And it's true; it's a different kind of job. You're an administrator, not a you know a street cop. But being certified seems to me gives you an understanding of what the cop on the beat has got to deal with in a way that's that you might not have otherwise. Yes, but why is that an issue right now? It, 
we've always had this condition. Do we need to change the rules or what? Otherwise, <clears throat> we're just whistling Dixie. Either well, and that's and that's why I, that's that why he I, Henry. That's why I want to bring it up is because I. I would imagine a lot of people don't realize that it's possible for a uh, a city, um, or I imagine even a county with a sheriff, um, to hire someone to run the department who isn't a certified policeman. I don't know if everybody knows that. Well, the well, sheriff was elected. He didn't, wouldn't have to be certified. But uh, is that true in other states, or is it just Michigan, or what? I, You know, I don't. I, I don't know the the overseeing body that was quoted by the Free Press and Michigan Radio was the Michigan Commission on Law Enforcement Standards. So at the very least, it's in Michigan. I don't know how other states deal with it. Can I look at that from reference of an uh, associated position? Now, schools hire superintendents. Good but point. not all of them are teachers. Some of yeah, them have never but, been teachers. But they do a good job as administrators. It's not their job to go out <clears throat> and uh, tell teachers. Uh, uh, he has to oversee the process. But he does not have to be a teacher. And like General Motors, General Motors didn't hire a car guy one year, and they went instead to um, another company that was associated with cosmetics and hired that person as uh, president of the uh, company. And, and, but they got a new perspective on how to deal with problems that were ingrained and become part of the culture that was killing the country, uh, the company. So I think yeah, sometimes I, that's good. Yeah, it's an interesting idea, Henry. I'm thinking here, now, for example, should a hospital administrator be a, be a doctor? Or, I mean, it might be they're a good idea. They're not generally. They're yeah, not I, would, I would guess not. Yeah, I, I, just, yeah, I, would, I mean, clearly you're dealing with a lot of medical issues, but you're dealing with a lot of administrative things, too, and I would suspect yeah, you're most dealing hospital administrators are not MDs. And sometimes yeah. doctors can think that they know everything and don't well, know yeah. how and they, they do. <laughs> Doctors do know everything. But, um, <laughs> Just ask them. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but um, it reminded me of uh, the federal government has, and I, I did have, I'm sure they still do, something called the Senior Executive Service, which was a, a group of people who had been trained and educated at, at a level that the federal government uh, could send them to any agency as of course, as an employee, not an elected uh, or appointed person, but an employee to oversee that particular agency, even though they may never have worked in that agency before. So there are administrative skills that may be called for that don't recall that don't call for you to be an expert in uh, the things that go on down down the line. Yeah, yeah. It does raise some interesting questions, and I. Uh more the more the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of wondering whether that that sort of should be a requirement. I yeah, probably we'll okay. yeah. Well, it's it it certainly is information that should be out there so that that voters and and John Q. Public and Jane Q. Public can uh, you know 
decide how they feel about that issue. Yeah. Anyway, we have to take a uh, short break, but we'll come back and find out how the panel feels about some other issues after we <laughs> let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. More armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program is straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov 
slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue Armchair Politics on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hedder on the right, joined by uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Five of the 17 missionaries kidnapped in a brazen attack by a gang in Haiti over the weekend are from Michigan's Oceana County, including four children, their pastor told the Detroit News. They are members of Heart Dunkard Brethren Church, Minister Ron Marks said on Monday. The local missionaries went as a family, one parent and four children, in early October, said Marks, who declined to identify them. The youngest child is younger than age 10, he added. The missionaries were taken Saturday as they left an orphanage outside Port-au-Prince. And uh, the group included six men, six women, and five children, all Americans except for one Canadian, according to their sponsoring organization, the Ohio-based Christian Aid Ministries. A spokeswoman from Christian Aid Ministries declined comment uh, or declined Monday to provide more information about the kidnapping. White House Press Secretary uh, Jen Psaki said Monday that President Joe Biden has been briefed and is receiving regular updates on what the State Department and the Federal Bureau of Investigation are doing to bring those kidnapped home safely. What are their chances? Hmm. Not good. Yeah, it's hard to say. I, uh, I, obviously, these, these gangs apparently just want money, I guess. Uh, but beyond that, who knows? Yeah, yeah they want $17 million. Yeah, a million dollars a person, wasn't it? Is that what it yeah. is? I'm, I was trying to figure out what what have they got their eyes on to buy that was exactly seventeen million dollars. <laughs> yeah, well, you know that reminds me of the pirates, the Somalian pirates that would yeah. that would take people hostage. I the the problem is we cannot negotiate with hostage takers, uh, even though we could afford seventeen million dollars. But um, the question is raised is what kind of activities do we have behind the scene where we could rescue them? You know, it's sort of like the Iran uh, hostages that were taken. Yeah. That were yeah. finally turned over. Or the people in, uh, was it Iraq or Iran, that escaped um, the hostage taking. You know, they they were utterly taken away. It's really, it's, it's international intrigue, isn't it? It is, and I, I, I'm not even sure. Do we even know where these hostages are being held? I, I, I've not heard. I don't think they'd say if they knew. Yeah, yeah. Um, is did we lose Henry? I thought I heard a call oh. drop. I think maybe we lost Henry. Well, we'll try and get Come him back, Henry. <laughs> we'll try and get him. Get back here, Henry. We need you. We'll try and get him. Yeah, we need somebody to bounce things off of. <laughs> what What are the the but what are the chances that these uh, these hostages will make it home safely? What are the chances that the seventeen million will be paid, or a successful rescue will be 
launched? Mm. Well, I suppose it's possible for private um, investors to invest the $17 million and maybe get them released, but I don't see the government doing it. Yeah, because I would just encourage more hostage-taking in the future, and unfortunately, that's always the, the dilemma, that if you pay it, it just means you'll do it again because it's paid off. Yeah. Um, so it's just pure guesswork. I, I you know, really don't know until it happens, and one hopes that there's some kind of rescue effort or some kind of a backdoor deal we may not even hear about that will get them released really somewhere along the way. But you know the thing that makes this uh, really, really awful is the children. I heard one was was that was under one year old. Is that uh, I, I thought I heard somewhere. The article I have only indicates that one of the children from Michigan was under ten. And yeah, Henry is back with us. Michigan. But I thought I heard one broadcast that said somebody was under one years old. I was, if assuming that's accurate, that surprised me. They would take someone that young to a situation like Haiti. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really putting it, when you go abroad and you're not in a country that recognizes the laws of your own country, uh, you're putting yourself in danger. Is, uh, Henry, are you back with us? Yes, I heard that story, too, this morning on WJR. Sad story. It is a sad story, and you know, I I was thinking about the same thing that uh, one of you just mentioned about, you know, taking children into these uh, dangerous zones where humanitarian efforts uh, are being launched. And I've talked to several people who um, have taken their whole families into, you know, these incredible, uh, incredibly dangerous. Um, situations uh some in in north africa and the middle east and um you know i always wonder about that too but it's it's part of their family makeup yeah yeah, yeah. it's a choice they make yeah here i, I just pulled up a story here of uh, 70 people including one of them is an eight-month-old baby we're taking hostage this is a story i just pulled up online while i'm sitting here so yeah, somebody eight month old baby. You know, I I believe that as Mexico as one of our great partners, it is dangerous for Americans to go in there because there are factions in there that don't submit to the government. And you could be in danger. Yeah, well, it depends on where you are, but I've been there several times. <clears throat> I've been there yeah. too, but I have to be careful. I wouldn't go any place. Yeah, no, it, it was a, it was a great place to go in many in many ways. Although it's as I say, the gangs have increased in Mexico, but uh, I, I'm not aware of, of any hostage situation there. I don't think, but been certainly a lot of shootings and killings. Yeah, I think it's the drug cartels that are. Yeah, <laughs> but it, if you were traveling for General Motors, they would advise you: do not. Be cautious. Mm -hmm. yes, you have to be very cautious. Well, President Joe Biden on Friday said those who refuse subpoenas from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol should be prosecuted by the Justice Department. The president's comments, the strongest yet from Biden on possible repercussions uh, for those who refuse to cooperate with Select Committee's requests, 
uh, upended days of discipline from the White House, which has sought to distance itself from the House's expected criminal contempt referral against Steve Bannon. Is the president and the White House wise to distance themselves from the January 6th hearings? I think so because uh, the Justice Department is now involved. And one of the criticisms of our former president was how intimately he involved himself in Justice Department um, actions and decisions. And truly, the Justice Department is independent of the administration. And the thing is, you want the facts to speak for themselves. You, you don't want it to appear, appear to be simply a partisan attack because you're of a different party. So I, I think politically it may be wise as well. Right. Well, nine months after the attack on the U.S. Capitol, Republicans in Congress are defending Donald Trump's role on January 6th in some of their strongest terms yet and signaling he'd have widespread backing from the party if he ran for president again in 2024. Republicans from across the conference, including some who are vulnerable in next year's midterms or have long been seen as part of the establishment wing of the party, are expressing little or no reservations about the prospect of Trump topping the ticket again, even as he continues to spread the same election lies that led to a mob or led a mob to storm their place of work. Some GOP members are cheering on a Trump comeback or cheering on a Trump comeback saying he remains a popular figure and powerful force in the party and there's widespread agreement among Republicans that Trump would be the automatic front runner and freeze the primary field if he chooses to jump in. Even some Republicans in swing districts like Representative Jeff Van Drew of New Jersey are embracing Trump's potential return into the political fray. Is it too soon to speculate about a Trump run in 2024? Yes, the president has not made that decision yet. Here's the proviso. Should we win back the Senate or should we win back the House? The House and the Senate. I think the major word is the House. Now then he'll decide to run. That's the information that comes out of headquarters to me, both from the Republican Party and from the the Trump uh, camp. Those are the conditions. Did anybody see that curious story that was kicking around that was speculating on Trump as Speaker of the House if, if the Republicans took back the House next year? I mean, I, I'm not sure how serious to take that thing, but I saw a couple of columnists and a couple of things speculating on that possibility, because you don't need to be, technically, a member of the House to be Speaker. They don't right. have it's been kicked around for a while. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, there there are some other people that are rising <clears throat> to the level of becoming serious uh, presidential candidates in the Republican Party. And one of them is Cindy McCain. So interesting. And, and now remember, the Republic, the Democrats decided to embrace her. And then uh, it was Mitt Romney that came back and said, "Well, you don't want to really lead the Republican Party; they'll never forgive you." <clears throat> now uh, she's back with the Republicans, but look what she's look what she's been, what she's done. She's embraced by Democrats. And people, in the worst way, want to see a woman become president. And, uh, <clears throat> and the, the, if a woman 
were serious about it, they would consider that as a possibility. So what you're saying, Henry, is there's a possibility of there being a sort of a mixed bag of people who yeah. might come forward yeah. and run. Yes, yes. Seems logical. Well, four Republican lawmakers who voted to impeach or convict former President Donald Trump over his role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol outraised the candidates he has endorsed to oust them, according to new campaign filings. Republican uh, Representatives Liz Cheney of Wyoming, uh, Jamie Herrera-Butler of Washington, and Fred Upton of Michigan drew Trump's condemnation for their impeachment votes in his January trial in the House. All three collected more money in the third fundraising quarter than their Trump-endorsed arrivals, according to reports filed Friday with the FEC. And Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski, one of seven Senate Republicans who voted to convict Trump in February, raised nearly $1.1 million in the July to September quarter, more than twice the 466000 collected by Kelly Shibaka, or I think that's how you pronounce it, who Trump endorsed earlier this year. Murkowski is the only one among the seven Republicans who voted to convict the former president who is up for re-election in 2022. Can Murkowski's run in Alaska um, predict anything about the 2024 presidential race? I don't know. I, I'm thinking here, as you were saying that, I think in 2020 may be the real acid test of whether or not the Republican Party is the Trump Party. I mean, if he runs the table and all his endorsees win... It probably is the Trump Party. On the other hand, if he strikes out across the board and, and most of the challengers end up winning, that may be uh, the, the beginning of the end of the of the Trump phenomenon in, in the Republican Party. So I think 2022 is going to be a real important election for the Republican Party in that sense. Is the Murkowski yeah. race one to keep a close eye on? Yes. I yeah. think Murkowski showed her her strength in Alaska when she ran in the, as a write-in candidate and won in the primary. And I just think she has a lot of, um, she's got a lot of strength that she will probably bring forward. And any challenger, Trump or not, uh, is going to have a, a really hard battle. Well, a commission set up by President Joe Biden to explore potential changes to the U.S. Supreme Court released draft materials Thursday addressing a number of topics related to the court seeming to find consensus in favor of term limits but appearing divided over adding more seats to the bench. The materials released on Thursday evening prepared by a working group made up of a subset of the 36 commission members fell short of making any solid recommendations for change but instead amounted to appraisals from subcommittee members on the issues that will be presented to the full commission uh, on Friday for further exploration. Should there be term limits for federal judges, including the Supreme Court? Uh, not according to uh, the Federalist Papers. <clears throat> not according to the Constitution. Yeah, the Constitution. Well, you know, because they were appointed for a reason. The people who frame, put the framework together to call the founding father, they had thought through a lot of things, and they knew a lot about government. We can't begin today to know about governments historically as those people back in those days did. And so they said, well, if you could 
places a, a person on the Supreme Court for life with good behavior. Uh, that would stabilize the country. And, uh, and it, it all seems to make sense, despite of the cognizant uh, decline, in their, uh, which is not extremely demonstrated by how Supreme Court uh, justices function. We have had nobody that's absolutely nuts on the Supreme Court yeah. and can't think through their daily yeah, routine. Yeah, I, I, I got mixed yeah. feelings uh, on the uh, term limits idea, but I, I think I, I'd be more favorably disposed to that than I would be to expanding the court, uh, mainly because if if Democrats do it now, Republicans will do it be, yes. know, next time around before you know what you got a court of fifty people. Uh, I'll so accept I, I'll accept your argument as a as a compromise. Yeah, no, maybe so. Uh, yeah. I guess I, yeah. I got I'm, I'm lukewarm term limits, the term limits, but yeah, I I, uh, I wouldn't rule them out entirely. Yeah, but I like it the way it is. I don't like term limits at all. I I didn't like I them when I was in Michigan. I don't like them at all. I think I think the um, the vote is the term limiter, and of course the Supreme Court uh, and other courts they are appointed for life or elected. And um, and I really don't believe that we're doing ourselves any good by interfering with the Constitution and having to yeah. discuss whether we're going to have to amend I, it. I, mean, I agree with you. An amendment. And I would say if, if there were limits at all, they'd be very lengthy. I mean, I'm thinking 20 years or something of that nature. And I, the term limits we have in, in, in Michigan here with six years in the State House and eight years in the State Senate have certainly not worked out very well at all. No, but I would prefer to see an age limit, perhaps that once, because hmm. uh, we do have that in our judges here, that right. perhaps when somebody reaches the age of, say, 75 <clears throat> or 80, that they would have to step down. But guys, now look at what we're doing. We're proposing something that goes against the grain of the people. Uh, Which people? All, I think Americans are called the people, the voters. They're called the people. Now, they are the ones that created the permanence to the Constitution because they voted for the Constitution at a convention. You know, the only people voted for this Constitution. But since then, it's been demarcated in uh, national elections, local and state elections, and so on and so forth. But the people only had one law to pass. That was the Adopt the Constitution in 1789. You so, know, it, it, it was interesting, as you were saying that, Henry, and, and I know we like to think in terms of, you know, the people all, you know, casting their vote and support of, you know, back in, you know, the days of the Constitution being ratified and, yeah. and in present times. And... Uh, all I could think of is if people didn't participate in voting the way people don't participate today in those days, it would make a fun historical novel to, to go back and, and interview or, or uh, create some conversations between people who didn't vote and what they would have liked to have seen happen instead. 
Yeah, yeah, people who people were, I was like the thing is, an awful lot of people couldn't vote in those days. Of yeah. course, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. white males, yeah. that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. that was my first. Yeah. That was my By first thought. But then, you know, it just, it just it seemed funny to take a very contemporary notion of of polling people who didn't vote and getting their reaction to what was voted. <laughs> um, and, and see yeah, what it was a, I think were. most guesses there maybe ten percent of the adult population had to even had the right to vote in the seventeen nineties or thereabout. Well, they and that, that, that was good white, because they if were, you had everybody voting. Uh, we would be over the all over spread out all over the. the <laughs> well, at, at the time, you know, qualification for voting was to be a white male landowner. Yes, absolutely. That left off a whole bunch of people. Sure. Yeah. So, but I don't have a problem with uh, what they did. I think that they darn near made a system that was perfect. They didn't say well, that. Well, we have a system that works. We have, we have a system that works for many, many, many years. And I think right now we are in a position where we've got to fight hard to defend it and protect it. Yes, you know, I, it just occurred to me that but, that... but we don't want to condemn what was done because we can do that today. If we had to go back and found the United States of the forget it. You have to listen to Hobbes and Machiavelli and some of the other skeptics and cynics. Well, inter well intellectually, that was a, a uh, uh, an interesting moment in time and and what the prevailing uh, writings and and thoughts were in in the geopolitics of the globe at that time I, I i don't think it was the perfect storm yes yes it was the perfect storm yeah it was Could the age of done again rationalism but but look at they built in a mechanism that allows it to change and it's changed a lot yeah, the courts have changed it, and amendments have changed it. And yes. so it's not, it is a living document. It's not something that we have that to go is, back to yeah. the 1780s. It's, it's real. Yeah. Yes, it is. It had its major flaws, and that's, and that's, why, we did, that's why we had all the amendments and all the, the court rulings over the years to modify it. And changes have been made all for the better. Yeah. Well, not always, but eventually. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, was, there was that prohibition thing out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there was the acceptance of slavery thing. And what they did during the prohibition thing, they said, oh, we made a mistake. And yeah. The generation behind us made a mistake. But right. it's not our business to go back and tell the generation before us they made a mistake. Well, they 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 changed their amendments to time. change the prohibition. Those are their circumstances. Yeah, those well, are their prerogatives. I did an analysis of the amendments many years ago, and over seventy percent of them actually expanded rights. Actually, gave us more rights, yes. and so I think that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. Well, and that's kind of the history of amendments. Um, starting with, you know, the first, uh, the first, first 10. Yeah. Well, we have to take a short break. We'll come back and, uh, with the, with the X-Files and I'm going to try and squeeze in, uh, another listen to our Schlocktober pick of the day before the end of the show. Um, I'm going to have to leave five minutes early. 
Oh well, darn it! Okay. You're gonna you're gonna miss uh, Sebastian okay. Cabot. Uh, <laughs> oh, butcher! <wait. laughs> oh no! Well, well, goodbye, Henry. Before before you leave, goodbye. Oh, I, Thank you, you. I always tell you, you make me better. <laughs> Henry, if I didn't have you to argue with, I would be bored. <laughs> well, we're Thank gonna. You. We're going to take a short. And thank you for making me better too. That's right, Henry. Thank you. We're going to thank take a short guys. break. We'll what a great program. Thanks, Henry. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with uh, the X Files right after this. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID nineteen. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. 
As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All oh, the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as uh, Armchair Politics continues now with uh, our final segment of the, uh, of the day, The X-Files. And uh, we start out with uh, the City Council of Christ Church in New Zealand announced that it will stop paying its official wizard $10,400 a year in December. Hello? <laughs> Is Hello? Hello? Still there? Hello. Hello. Okay. okay, I just I heard. I think some. I can hear everybody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Ian Brackenbury Channel, A.K.A. the Wizard, has been serving as the city's appointed necromancer uh, since the olden days of 1998. Over the past few decades, he has made a total of three, uh, roughly two hundred and fifty-eight thousand dollars in U.S. currency, to provide acts of wizardry and other wizard-like services as part of promotional work for the City of Christ Church. Council Assistant Chief Executive Lynn McClellan told Stuff that the council made the difficult decision to fire their local mage because the promotional landscape of the city is changing and it would like to fund offerings that will increasingly reflect our diverse communities. The wizard, who frankly should have used his powers to see this coming, said the city council has, quote, no imagination and projects, quote, an image of bureaucrats drinking lattes on the boulevard. (laughs) (laughs) The, The wizard, who holds a New Zealand driver's license bearing the name The Wizard, moved to the country in the 1970s and has been a fixture in Christchurch ever since, according to CNN. He even earned himself a TripAdvisor rating four out of five stars. 
He told CNN that he views himself less as Gandalf and more as a goofball or a showman who brings joy to the city. Every day the world gets more serious, so fun is the most powerful thing in the world right now, he said. Should the council terminate the wizard, or should they just pay no attention to that man behind the curtain? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the, the Flint City Council might want to take a look at something like this. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a thought. Maybe he could come and make them pay attention and get That's right. <laughs> yeah. Guy looking for a job. I was thinking, you know, he's an old hippie is basically what he is. <laughs> that's what it sounds right. like. He he sounds a little bit like Vermin Supreme. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, it's not exactly on par with India's Taj Mahal, but a family house in a small town in northern Bosnia is in its own way a monument to love. The house in Serbak was designed and built by 72-year-old Vojin Kusik, with a green facade and red metal roof, it can rotate a full circle to satisfy his wife's shifting desires as to what she would like to see when she looks out of its windows. Many years ago when they married, Cusick had built another typical house for himself and his wife in which they raised their three children. At the time, his wife wanted their bedrooms to face the sun, so they did but this meant their living room faced away from the road. After a while, he said his wife complained that she could not see people entering their front yard and Cusick had to remodel everything. Then six, <laughs> six years ago, the only one of Cusick's three children not to fly the nest, a son, got married and his parents decided to let him live on the top floor of their family house while they moved to the ground floor. Once again, this time on the ground floor, I had to start tearing down some walls, at which point, to not wait for her to change her mind again, I decided to build a new rotating house so she can spin it as she pleases, he said. Cusick, who did not have a chance to go to college, designed and built his rotating house by himself using electric motors and the wheels of an old military transport vehicle. Now our front door also rotates, so if she spots unwanted guests heading our way, she can spin the house and make them turn away, he joked. (laughs) Well, would you rather run around the house or have the house run around you? (laughs) That could be a good solution. Good question. Boy, that's a guy that really loves his wife. (laughs) Well, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's I think it's hilarious. I, I and I I don't think I've ever heard of such a thing. I've maybe seen something like it in a Looney Tunes cartoon, but not <laughs> yeah, not in real life. Uh, he's really clever. I would say that that's really that's a genius. Yeah, you don't like the the view? Just rotate the house. That's right. <laughs> Why not? If you can do it, do it. Well, hey, I promised earlier I was going to try and squeeze in uh, one more look at at Schlocktober. And before we uh, wind things up today, I'm going to do just that. And for people who don't know what that is that are tuning in, um, every day in the month of October, while everybody else is celebrating Rocktober and Shocktober and all of those uh, various October festivities, we on the Tom Sumner program celebrate Schlocktober, where we uh, play a different horrible recording each and every day. 
And today we turn to uh, Sebastian Cabot, who's going to butcher a little Bob Dylan for us. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. Go away from my window. Leave at your own chosen speed. I'm not the one you want, babe. I ain't the one you need. You say you're looking for someone never weak but always strong to protect you and defend you, whether you're right or wrong. Someone to open each and every door. Uh, but it ain't me, babe. Uh, no, 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 it ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. Go lightly from the ledge, babe. Go lightly on the ground. I'm not the one you want, babe. I don't let you down. You say you're looking for someone who will promise never to part, someone to close his eyes for you, someone to close his heart, someone who will die for you and more? Ooh, it ain't me, babe. No, no, no. It ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. Go melt back into the night, babe. Everything inside is made of stone. There's nothing in here moving. Anyway, I'm not alone. You say you're looking for someone who will pick you up each time you fall, to gather flowers constantly and to come each time you call, a lover for your life and nothing more. Hey, ain't me, babe. No, 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 it ain't me, babe. It ain't me you're looking for, babe. can't think of a better way to end up today's show than uh, <laughs> that's right than having sebastian cabot uh, bye guys hey take care henry thank you henry. henry thank you it's henry hatter uh, on the right and uh, and thanks to him he's uh, one of our roundtable regulars um, as as is uh, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki uh, on the left, and it's uh, it's so great to have these conversations. And and Bobby Clayton Walton, political operative, when she joins us, it's always uh, an interesting conversation to be sure. And, and thank <laughs> thank you. Not boring, that's for sure. But I was wondering if Sebastian Cabot would be the kind of guy that would pick up the check. <laughs> no, I, th- I think he might. Uh, I think he yeah, might respond, me, it ain't me, babe. <laughs> it ain't me, that's right. <laughs> you know, I had a lot of fun while Captain Kirk was out in space. I was, uh, you know, really playing up heavy his his uh, foray into uh, the music final frontier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you got you to get excited about the kinds of things that are going on. 
with um, you know new adventures. Well, um, we'll have another new adventure on the Tom Sumner program coming up tomorrow at 9 o'clock. And uh, next week, Armchair Politics is going to hell. And uh, Jan Worth Nelson will be making the trip with our roundtable regulars. But thanks to everybody for tuning in and, uh, and for being uh, part of the roundtable today. Thank you all. Good night, Bobby. Good night, Tom. Take care. And to the listeners, good night, everybody. Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.